To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new podcast for you. So today I have on Sam Soholt. Um, Sam's just a great guy. I met him a couple of years ago, and then um, we, we've tried to get together on a, a filming photograph project, and it hasn't quite happened. But um, he's just a great guy and does so much for our, our public lands. He's got his public land bus, and, and we just sat down one morning and just had a great conversation um, we, we talk about TAC, the Total Archery Challenge. It's that That's fresh in our minds. He just got done shooting it. We talk public lands, and, and then we just dive into to hunting. We talk about his 2018 season and what he has planned and tags he has, and, and then spot and stalking and, and, and just Western hunting, you know, and how to get better at it, how experience is the best teacher, but just a real great, engaging, authentic conversation with Sam Philholt. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. I know you guys will enjoy it too. Sponsor for today's show is High Mountain Seasonings. High Mountain Seasonings, they're a great company. They just make everything for processing your game. They make um, jerky seasonings. They make snack stick kits. They make uh, uh, sausage kits. Uh, they make marinades for steaks, and they're just great products. In fact, I just got done yesterday making a, a bunch of jerky out of this Nevada mule deer. Um, I have so much great meat from the Axis in Hawaii and then my caribou, and so um, sitting pretty good on steaks and um, sitting pretty good on burgers. So, yeah, I decided to make up some jerky as I'm all out. So this will be what I live on here for hunting season. So I've got, I don't know how many pounds, but like a six big zip Ziplocs full of jerky, but High Mountain Seasoning, they just have step-by-step instructions, great seasonings, um, a, a bunch of different flavors. Uh, make sure to check them out. They're a great company. High Mountain Seasonings, thanks to those guys uh, for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, um, yeah, us at the Eastman's crew, um, we're, we're just going like heck right now. I, I think I touch bases with about everybody from the Eastman staff today, just checking in on things. Uh, Todd Helms, uh, he's our editor there, just a great guy. If you guys um, uh, harvest a trophy animal this season, make sure you get a hold of Todd. He'll help you with the writing. He'll help you, you know, photographs, organize everything, get a plan. It, it's so cool when you can put your story in print like that in the magazine. And, and then uh, you also get you know some some great stuff some great gear that we give away with with articles that we print in our magazine so make sure to get a hold of todd uh, touch bases with scott on the podcast see what our plan is there make sure i've got good content going out to you guys uh, as i'm gone on all these trips uh, talk to guy about the filming Lindsay about the editing i send in her all the footage from this this caribou hunt this nevada muley hunt i'm just so proud at what we put together on these deals and yeah what a start to the season for me you know a really nice caribou and then to, to help my my buddies my good friends in alaska to also help them achieve their goals and harvest nice caribou and then um, go on this nevada hunt place i've never been mountain i've never Ever seen and and to be able to figure it out and get on bucks and then harvest a really nice tall heavy buck um, I, I'm just elated uh, just ecstatic this is just a, a great way to start the season 
uh, need to get some work done here, and then um, I can't wait to get off to Colorado and and start it over again. So, um, yeah, I better get this thing rolling. So, great conversation between me and Sam Soho, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here with Sam Soholt on Eastman's Elevated. Um, Sam, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, we've stayed in contact. Um, I tried to get you to to film a hunt for me. You had filmed um, one of the Eastman's guys, Brandon Mason, years ago, um, yep. and we just haven't been able to connect. But last year we met at at TAC, the Total Archery Challenge in Big Sky, and then you were back up there again this year, right? Yep, yep. I was just up there for the whole weekend. Uh, pretty good time. My dad actually flew out for it too. So it was, it was a good spot to hang out. Oh, how cool. Your dad flew in and shot it with you. He did. Yep. He shot both Saturday and Sunday. Wow. Um, they've done such a great job at those events. Um, we were talking earlier and they changed it this year to tea times and that seemed to get rid of some of the bottleneck, you know, after you ride the chair up and at the top getting started. So I think that was a good move. Yeah, that, that really helped a lot. I mean, I went to both Snowbird and Big Sky last year, and it seemed like there would be a few spots where, like like you said, it would bottleneck down, and you'd be waiting 15, 20 minutes just to shoot the next target. And so <clears throat> it's what it looked like for you know at both events I went to this year at Terry Peak and uh, Big Sky with the tee times. It really kept it at a nice, like, steady pace, and everybody got to go through at their own, you know, speed, and nobody was kind of pushing each other on top of each other. It was it worked out really well. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and they do a great job at those events, too, setting up such challenging shots. Like, I remember the old 3D courses or the old shoots that you'd go to. It seemed like all the shots were 20 yards to 40 yards, and, and it was fairly easy. Um, you'd have to shoot through some limbs and stuff. But these total archery challenges, they're a whole new level. They challenge even the best archers. Um, if you can get through a day and not bust an arrow, you shot really well. Yeah, you shot very well. I think, I mean, uh, the course that I shot uh, at Big Sky, I think the probably the average distance of shot was over 60 yards. So it really, really forces you to stretch it out and uh, kind of uh, amplifies all your imperfections and shows you just how good or bad of an archer you really are. <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah amplifies um your, your your shooting when you have to shoot at those long distances uh you can't have any flaws in your shooting you absolutely have to get everything right and execute a good shot and, and it's yep. also it's tougher to aim on 3d targets than it is to aim at a bullseye it seems you just have that body you don't have the exact spot but it forces you to pick that spot and hold right there and then execute your shot yeah and what what we've done the last couple of years is, you know, a lot like red rings, um, because a lot of times an animal will be, you know, like the target will be at a quartering to or quartering away angle or whatever it might be. And so we came up with a scoring system. Um, it was actually Remy Warren came up with a scoring system, but you do uh, kill, wound, miss. And so you get a point for hitting it where it would kill the animal you get a negative one for hitting it where it would wound the animal. And then you get a, a clean zero if you, if you miss completely. So it gives it, <clears throat> makes it a little bit more like a hunting scenario. Cause the last thing obviously we want to do is to wound an animal. So it, uh, it helps you focus down and, and, you know, if you can get through the course with a, a pretty good score, like, I mean, you know, you're shooting well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it gets you um, so ready for season two, uh, standing on those steep hillsides, and you, you realize real quick like um, how important leveling your bow is on those um, ski, yeah. the ski lifts and those steep hillsides. You'll draw back, and you'll think your bow is level and everything feels comfortable, and you'll look at your be- bubble, and you might have to tilt the top end of your bow four inches to, to make right. things right to where it hits um, where you need it to. And anytime you can't your bow, if you can't your bow to the left, your arrow hits to the left. If you can't your bow to the right, it hits to the right. Um, but it, it really gets you in that frame of mind like you would be in the high country hunting. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, like you're saying. Like, I mean, you feel like you're really having to torque your bow to get it back to level. But um, that's exactly right because if you don't, like, I mean, I saw I saw a lot of arrows blow up this weekend. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of it was just not paying attention to the bubble um standing there thinking you're on level ground <laughs> yeah the the carnage of arrows is hilarious by some of those targets isn't it because it is just all rock background um it if you miss the target uh you probably got a a 50 50 chance would you say that your arrows busted and shattered yeah i'd, I'd say about 50 50 <laughs> yeah and, and yep. that that other 50 percent you you probably messed up your field point or something like that you know hitting something hard but there isn't much soft dirt up there yep no, I'd say it's a 50% chance of blowing up your arrow, and then, like, a, a 50% of the other 50% is, uh, like, you're just losing your arrow. Like, <laughs> it's just launching into the abyss, so. These arrow companies have to love these total archery challenges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, wonder how, I wonder how many thousands of arrows. I think, you know, over the course of three days, I think – um and not all of them were breaking on rocks and stuff but i think i broke and lost probably i think i was at like three arrows a day average mm-hmm. i was <laughs> oh set. you sh- you shot well yeah i did i did okay so i think yeah i think i lost about nine arrows on the weekend <laughs> gotcha yeah that's yeah. <laughs> that's not too bad for that course it's it's humbling isn't it no matter what yeah. your skill level is you go through that course and and it's humbling you know it, it's just a lot of high degree di- of difficulty shots and um yeah long distances and yeah. and uh yeah, there's, there's always the one shot that's like 125 yards and if you don't hit the target the first time you're like well i gotta shoot again <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> And I think it's more just to watch the arrow like be in the air that long, but uh, but yeah, I, I I definitely lost a couple on uh, some long ones this this last weekend. Yeah, it uh, it makes you better. And the the one thing, it's kind of like hunting too, in that you can't let your shooting, you can't get inside your own head, you can't overthink it. You have to just keep executing good shots. And if you miss a target, you can't let it get to you. But I really relate it to hunting in that way that that hunting on stocks. If you mess up a stock, you can really get inside your own head and then mess up the next couple in front of you. Or if you mess up a shot and miss you know all of a sudden that gets inside your head and that's all you can think about um you, you really have to get yourself in the right headspace when shooting at the tac and also when hunting the backcountry because you know bad things are going to happen that you're going to have to overcome but uh, you can be your biggest obstacle sometimes yeah yeah when you when you mess something up it's usually only by six inches and that's the six inches between your left ear and your right ear <laughs> I like that, Sam. I'm going to use that. That's perfect. Um, yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it's wild how complicated our, our minds are, how they work, and, uh, you know, all tied back to our ego and, and confidence. Yep. And, and it's just wild how that whole system works. And you, 
you, you know, you can sure throw a, a bug in the system when you do something negative or um, what I hate are the stupid mistakes. Like I've got a mover pin and if you yep. forget to move your mover pin on the next target and you shoot it for the wrong distance. So you yep. still execute a good shot, but you watch your arrow just sail over the top of his back. Yep. You know, <laughs> I hate those mental mistakes. Those ones kill yep. me. Yep. That's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What uh, did you bring the bus? I did. Yep. Um, yep. Brought the bus up. Uh, originally, the plan was to park it up where all like the vendor booths are and everything. And, but they're doing a bunch of construction this year at Big Sky. So weren't able to get it parked up top this time. But that's uh, that's OK. I'll have it. I'll, I'll get I'm guessing I'll bring it back out next year and we'll have a little bit better plan of where we're going to park it and be able to do the full setup so people can come check it out. Yeah, uh, what a heck of a build, Sam. I think that's so cool, and you um, you really, I think of it as the public land bus because you bring so much awareness to public lands, and you're traveling around to, to so many of these different gatherings, and you're at these shoots in South Dakota and Montana. Um, it, you're, you're spreading a lot of positivity for public lands and for public land hunting. I just think it's so great, and I really enjoyed watching your build on the bus. Um, you know, watching you, I, I like when guys put their own sweat and their own hard work into things, their own sweat equity, you know, and that's yeah. what you did on that bus. You did pretty much everything you could do yourself. You did. I, I think that's really cool, Sam. Yeah, no, well, thank you. It was, uh, it was a really, it's been a really fun project, you know, last summer, you know, in the moment, there was definitely a lot of days where I would walk outside and look at the bus and go, what the hell am I doing? Like, you know, like, why, why did I ever start looking for buses on Craigslist? <laughs> but, but once, you know, once it started to come together and, and you, you, you start to see it transform into, you know, kind of this vision that you had before you got going, um, you know, once it turned into my rolling hunting camp, it, it was, the reward was definitely worth it. And it's been a, it's been really fun to see, how far and wide the, the message has spread and, you know, the fact that the bus has kind of become a little symbol for public lands and, and, and really just helping people want to go get a little bit more educated about what's happening with public lands and, you know, what they can do to help. Yeah, it, it brings awareness to the whole situation, which we have to fight to protect um, yep. public lands and, 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 and hunting in general. I know I'm going on this. Um, I leave for this caribou hunt. In fact, I fly out uh, this Tuesday coming up. But well, um, my, my buddy made me aware that they almost took away that hunt, that the hunt off the hall road where five miles either side of the it's either five miles either side of the pipeline, I think is how it's yep. worded. It's bow hunting only. And, yep. and it's a it's just a treasure for the, the, the blue collar working bow hunter because you can do the, the trip inexpensively and go right. hunt caribou on public lands and you have this Dalton Highway to kinda move along and hunt, you know, five hundred different miles of this haul road along the pipeline. So it it's such a great hunt for both residents and non residents, but they they were one vote away from taking away that hunt this year and turning it into a subsistence hunt, which, you know, there has to be subsistence hunting up there, and I get that. But um, to take away this public land bow hunt would be a travesty, and we just really have to fight to protect everything we have because it's so nice that you don't have to be wealthy to participate in these 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 adventures across the you know the lower 48 Alaska Hawaii it's just a uh, public land and public land hunting is such a treasure we just have to continue to fight for it yeah well that's exactly right i mean if we if we if public lands go to the wayside it it truly does hunting you know it's no longer a heritage right so it, it truly becomes 
a sport for the wealthy. And that's that's not to say that there's, you know, if it would all go private, there's it's not to say that you couldn't knock on some doors and get access. But the just the ability to, you know, for a guy like me to just, you know, pull up to a trailhead and walk for as as long as I want to go on a public land, like if that goes away, the you got to wonder what the percentage of people who would even, you know, bother to go out. Like what how what, what would be the swing when it wouldn't all go to private, you know, private land. So it's a it's a yeah, it's a, it's something we need to be concerned about, especially with um, uh, dwindling hunter, hunter numbers, you know, and the, the baby boomer population starting to to age out here in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, it's becoming, you know, a point in our lives where we need to be on the offensive rather than just reactionary because, uh, buying, you know, hunting licenses is, is soon going to be not enough. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, we just have to continue to fight and especially our generation and, and also to reflect hunting in a, in a positive light and, to help guys like it it's tough to get started in hunting if you don't have family to kind of guide you into it or introduce it to you like you 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 really need like a, a mentor or you know just you know with social media guys are able to to ask me questions and kind of get started and able to point them in the right direction the right archery shot but it, it's so yep. great like this sport that we have and i call it a sport but it you know it's really shaped my life it's given me passion in my life and something to work hard for something to enjoy and and it's given me adventure it's given me so many great things and then it's taught me so many great lessons in life you know about hard work and about discipline and and um i just have such a love for it that that i just want to fight to protect it you know not only for myself but future generations yeah yeah i think you know i mean i i I use uh, a quote from Teddy Roosevelt a lot, and he's the. It says the the greatest good for the greatest number of people includes the number within the womb of time. So what what he's trying to say is, you know, like like you said, just for future generations. So the the people who are not even born yet, like just protecting it so that those people have the ability that if they decide to, they can go out and explore and adventure and. And, you know, learn all of these things that you and I have learned through, you know, spending basically the majority of our time in the wilderness, um, you know, things like patience and adventure and, you know, and values and, and different stuff. So it's it's definitely public lands are one of the country's greatest resources, and it's definitely something worth fighting for and trying to protect. Yeah, and the the public land animals, you know, are are a renewable resource and and uh, and it's just to to be able to go out on lands and be able to to view elk and deer and bear um that it, it's it's such a cool experience to to be immersed into nature and and uh yeah we just we can't let that go away you know both for for hunting and and just for in enjoyment for the overall population it's it's just it's such a cool model that we have here in the united states and we just have to continue it but i think it's great with social media like now we're able to get out the message on public lands or when public lands are threatened we're able to get the word out and we're able to kind of unite as sportsmen and and have a voice which i i think is so important where you know i think years ago some of this stuff would have got passed and 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 we wouldn't even known about it right yeah it would it would have all come down the pipeline and we would have just uh it would have just been a new way of life 
Um, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The fact that we can almost instantaneously unite as a force and be able to send messages and emails and people can post links to, you know, writing to your, so you'll, you know, send a message to all of your local um, senators or your state senators and, or national senators at the, you know, that are part of your state. Um, it, it's made reacting to these types of things, um, so much easier and so much faster that, you know, um, our voice as sportsmen gets heard in a big hurry rather than, you know, like you said, like, you know, in the past, it, it, it'd be interesting to see, cause it's, I mean, right now is not the first time that we've, uh, public lands have been under threat. It's kind of been an ongoing debate over, you know, since Roosevelt, you know, decided to, you know, put things into national forests and national parks and, and, um, have the federal government basically manage large tracts of land. Like, I mean, that was not a popular thing back when he did it. Um, fortunately it was, you know, like we have seen the benefits of it. And so I think that's, uh, I think that's why we're so quick to, you know, fight to protect it. Um, but yeah, the, the social media thing, you know, as bad as it can be sometimes in these situations, it's, uh, it definitely helps a lot. Um, yeah, uh, some of these senators or uh, representatives, House Rep of Representatives, um, some of them have to be so far out of touch with with sportsmen um, to to be able to to try to get a bill like that. Like I'd hate to to be those guys. Like I see the bombardment when they when they push try to push an initiative that is going to take away our public lands. Um, they 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 absolutely get bombarded where they almost have to shut their accounts down at that point, you know. So um, I, I think we're starting to get our point across. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean and that's and then really that's what it's going to take. And I think the most I think the you know the most inspiring thing that I've seen it from all it all is in hunting, just like any activity. There there's a lot of infighting. So you you got the guys that you know there's fighting between rifle and archery hunters, and there's fighting between archery hunters and other archery hunters, depending on what equipment you use. And there's fighting between whether you hunt public land or private land. But I think, you know, the one thing everybody can agree on, regardless if you hunt both public and private or all private, is the fact that public lands are important to our hunting heritage and need to be protected. So it's it's really been kind of a, you know, it, it, I wish it wasn't an issue in the first place, but it it really has been a uniting factor among sportsmen, and I think that's I think that's a very positive thing moving forward. Yeah, the the infighting is um, it, it's toxic. Uh, you, you can't like just being a a, a person and social media, and I you know I. I need to be on there, and I, I love sharing things with other people, and I love the support of our community. But there's also some negative that goes along with it too. You know that that you know you don't want to be looking at your phone all the time. You want to be experiencing life, and um, you know the social media is addictive. But yeah, we have to work hard to have healthy relationships with that social media so we can enjoy our life and not be looking at our phone the whole time. And I know for me personally, you know, not that I struggle with it, but I'm constantly aware of it and thinking of it and how I can have a healthy relationship with my phone and with social media, <laughs> being able to share things, supporting other hunters out there. And really it's a mindset too. We talk about the infighting is, it's just supporting other hunters, supporting hunters that are more successful than you, supporting hunters that are less successful than you, supporting hunters that hunt a different way than you, like just being happy for other people. It seems like you're so much happier in life that way. Like that, 
you know, getting caught up and being jealous of somebody harvesting a big animal, it doesn't do you any good. Um, no. you're, you're better off to be happy for that, that person, but it's taken years to work at it. It seems like the natural human instinct or reaction is, is jealousy, you know? And so you really have to fight against it and be happy for other guys and support other guys. And it seems like you're happier in life that way. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. It's, it, uh, I mean, in some in some sense of the you know the sport, it's, hunting is a competition because we're all out there. I mean, it, mostly it's a competition with ourselves, right? So we're always trying to we're always trying to be better hunters, better woodsmen, better you know whatever it may be, whatever you know skill you're trying to hone. And a lot of that you know like comes down to you're trying to harvest a you know an older and a more mature animal. Um, and a lot, sometimes like you've worked your ass off, and then some guy who's hardly hunting goes out and shoots some giant animal. And it's, it's really tough not to be like, well, damn it. Like, why, <laughs> why didn't that work out for me? Like I've put in the time. Um, but you're exactly right. You need to, we need to do, all of us need to look in the mirror and do a better job of supporting other people that hunt regardless of the way they do it. Because the more infighting we do, the, the weaker our voice as a whole is. And we need, we need, you know, more than ever, we need that voice to be very strong. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Yeah, and you do a good job of it. Uh, seems, it seems like uh, you're always supporting guys and positive and, and uh, reflect hunting in a positive light. Um, you've done a really good job at it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I try to, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, you know, I like, I have a pretty small voice in the whole thing, but I, I like to think that even if there's, you know, one person that's a non-hunter that, you know, would happen to look at my page if they, if they can be like, oh, you know, like what this guy is doing pretty cool. He's, you know, it's not just, you know, me standing over a bunch of animals or something like that. I like to, you know, through photography, I like to really tell the story of the entire experience or, you know, even if it's a single image trying to capture, you know, an image that somebody can look at and really understand what was happening in that, in that moment. Um, I like to portray, try to portray it as best I can to, to show all of the, the positives that come from hunting and not just, it, you know, we're not just out there trying to shoot an animal just to shoot an animal. Yeah, you are so skilled behind the lens, and that's kind of how you 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 started your name or made your name was um, filming and photography, you know, for other hunters um, going along on hunts and then trying to capture their hunt for them, right? Yep, yep, that's exactly right. So I was... Uh, you know, a lot of people ask if I went to film or photography school, and I actually no, I didn't. I, I've never had a formal class of any type um, in the photo world. I actually um, got my undergrad in uh, in business administration, and then went on to get my MBA um, from North Dakota State. But um, growing up, I'd always been kind of interested in you know f- mostly film. I'd always thought about video more than photography. And um, my la- final year in college, I had started archery hunting um, due to the the badgering of my brother to get a bow and start hunting. Um, and so I started archery hunting and I had a really successful first season, you know, I think beginner's luck for sure. And, um, I was so fired up about hunting and had, you know, always wanted to be part of a hunting show or whatever it might be. And, and so I just sat down at the computer and started cold emailing and cold calling, um, every hunting show I could find a, a, um, contact for. And, by one of the people I emailed was Bill Winky at Midwest Whitetail. And he, you know, 
he was actually one of the first people to email me back just a couple hours after I had contacted him. And next thing I knew, I was in Albia, Iowa, uh, on an in- interview over Christmas break, my se- last year of college, and got the job. And that summer, moved down to Albia and um, kind of started my path into video production and editing and producing. Um, and that was, but that was the start of it. I just became an intern for a whitetail show and moved to Iowa. So, um, and then from there, just you know, kind of kept picking away at getting better at it. I moved to Colorado and helped my brother run an archery shop for about a year and was producing videos for, for that shop and, and then took a job, um, as a sales rep in Montana, but, um, met, you know, randomly met a guy at a coffee shop who needed an extra camera guy for a bear hunt. So I went up and did that, which led to, you know, filming Coast Guard Alaska and then a show for the history channel. And then, um, which led to meeting, a guy who hired me for my first photo gig. And then, you know, so it just, it just, apparently I was on the right path in the photo and video world because it seemed like every time I would start to kind of move away from it, like another door would open back into to photo and video. And then I would just go right through that door and, and, and dive back in. So, um, but yeah, most people go from, they shoot photos first and then transition to video. And I did the opposite. I started all in video and, and then transitioned, um, to mostly stills and, now I'm probably uh you know ninety percent still photographer and ten percent video. That's uh, such a cool story, Sam. It's um it it's just how us guys learn. Like if we're passionate about something, we're interested in it, like we dive into it and we learn as much as we can and we seem to retain the information better and, and uh you know it it sounds like you know, you you went through college and um you know and and in education, um, you know, is I think it's good to to focus on what you like to do, and then I think it comes naturally. And I think that's the way us guys learn. The same thing with with me. You know, I I I started hunting first, and then started learning about photography and filming, and started diving into that world. So we all have our own path and our own journey. But I really think that's how us guys learn is to to be extremely interested in something, and then dive in and try to learn and try to improve and try to get better. And and it's a it's a fulfilling life too when you when you're excited about things you know i i think it's such a cool way to go and yeah it's such a great story of you just learning on the fly and making these connections and and that's the other thing too is um getting into video and, and film work is tough you know for me you know getting into to making you know any any sort of money in the hunting industry is tough it's almost like you want to be you want to be an actor you want to be a rock star like there just isn't very many guys that make it but but i think the key is is just to keep grinding and working at it like you said cold calling all these tv shows and getting so many no's but you you just weren't you weren't going to take no for an answer you kept calling you got the interview you made it happen and then you started learning on the fly and then that led to your next connection and and It, it's been the the same way for me, making connections and really small steps, and and sometimes it seems stagnant or slow. But if you love something, you know, ultimately, you know, I think you can you can do it or get better at it, you know. And and it's not going to be easy to make a living at it, but there is a path and there is a way. Yep, yep, that's absolutely right. And it's you know when it comes down to it, the you know both of us work in the hunting industry, but it is a very small very small industry when you, when you really look at it. Um, and so there's, you know, I get asked all the time, like, well, how do I get a job in the hunting industry? And (laughs) I don't think I've met 
two people that have had the same path like to get there. Um, so whether it be, you know, film and photography or what's a, you know, you get a marketing job or a sales job or whatever it might be like, there is, there is no good, there's no good way to dive into the hunting industry. And it, it, it definitely all comes down to like what you're passionate about. And if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to put in the work, if you, if you're willing to do the networking and put in the work, because there was several years where I was, you know, filming and doing photography and I was running, you know, negative balance in my bank accounts. <laughs> so, you know, and, um, you know, picking up little side jobs and whatever, you know, selling everything that I own to, you know, to make rent or, um, you know, buy food, or whatever. So, I mean, I think it was a solid two and a half years where I was pretty terrified to ever look at my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> um, that it hits home, Sam, because I'm the same way. Like I had sacrificed so much to get where I'm at years and years and years uh, of doing things for free and submitting articles for free and writing and photography. And then, you know, trying to, trying to be an adventure bow hunter and I don't have unlimited funds. And so, yeah, trying to just travel to another state, like you say, I'd be at a zero balance or I, I'd be on a <laughs> A credit card just trying to hunt a different state and have this great adventure and immerse myself in it and so yeah i i uh i can definitely relate to that but it is if if it's something that you really want to do you're gonna have to sacrifice you're gonna have to do things for free put in the work uh put in the effort and, and it may take years to pay off but eventually if it's your passion uh, i think you can you can work your way into anything yeah yeah that's exactly right yeah just time and pressure, you know, like everything in life. <laughs> time and pressure. Yes, <laughs> that's pressure. it. Well, and, and you're trying to transition now into hunting a lot more for yourself. It sounds like you've got a bunch of hunts planned for this season. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been really fortunate um, to kind of shift that ratio. So I, I definitely got into this because I like to hunt, right? So I, I wanted to be able to do that as much as possible. And um, the photo and video thing seemed like a good entry point in, but... I've, uh, I've been working with a lot of, you know, photo clients for a long time that I've, I've worked out deals now where I can, um, say, you know, be in the field with, you know, either on my own or with family and friends and, um, other ambassadors of different companies and stuff and shoot photos along the way rather than having to always be hired for a specific hunt for somebody. Um, so yeah, I've got a, a this fall would be great, especially, um, doing another t big tour in the bus. Uh, you know, the original plan was to do the bus thing for a year. Um, but really the, the whole project didn't get enough eyes on it until the very end of last year. So I figure it, uh, this is an opportunity to really, to blow that out of the water and do another round and, and, um, produce a lot more video and photo content for people to follow along. Um, but yeah, I've got a big season ahead. Um, I think the only, I think the only hunt that I'm actually filming for somebody else is, uh, I've been doing, I've done two years now with Jason Matzinger and I'll, this will, this will be the third year with him the first couple weeks of September. Um, but other than that, I'll be um, chasing critters for myself. I've got an elk tag and an antelope tag in Montana. And then I think, uh, I think I have six deer tags between five States. So, uh, it'll be, <laughs> it's going to be a busy fall. Um, and that'll, the, the big game stuff will take me through the end of November. And then I think I'll probably try to sneak in a couple duck hunts here and there, but, um, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a fun fall of, of, you know, moving towards chasing more stuff for me and, and instead of being always behind the, the lens. 
yeah, uh, yeah, that's really neat. You've uh, structured your life in a way where you get to hunt quite a bit. That's great. That's what we're all striving for. It takes a lot of years and a lot of sacrifice. But yeah, it sounds like you got it. Six. You, did you say six buck tags in five states? Uh, are they yeah. mostly whitetail tags? So it's uh, I've got three and three. Um, so I've got. Uh, well, I guess it could be. So in in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska, I could actually shoot either. Um, or I got Montana too, so I could shoot either. But I'm I'm kind of structuring it as three mule deer hunts and three whitetail hunts. So I've got. Yeah, um, I've got tags in North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas this year, uh, and Montana, I guess. So, so it'll be it'll be busy. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you like that? Uh. I, what would you call that area around South Dakota, Nebraska, Mon- Eastern Montana, kind of that country? What would you it's call like, that? I mean, it's like it's more like Great Plains, like Badlandsy, um, breaks country hunting. Um, yeah, I really, I really do enjoy that. You know, in Nebraska, it'll be probably in the sand hills a little bit, um, creek bottom stuff, but yeah, and a lot of it will be really, um, a lot of the same attributes as like the Missouri breaks country in Montana. It's just, um, I'm really excited. I drew, um, uh, it's a hard tag to draw, but in North Dakota as a non-resident, you have to apply for, a, a an any deer tag so you can shoot a mule deer, but I, I drew that tag this year. So I'm going with my, a good friend. Uh, Nolan Berg, who lives in North Dakota, and we're going to go out for uh, towards the end of October, I believe, and and see if we can't go do some spot and stock mule deer hunting out in the Badlands. Oh, how fun! Uh, yeah, I love that broken country of the Badlands. Like I've fallen in love with with Eastern Montana, and I haven't I haven't got into the Dakotas, but it's definitely piqued my interest. Like I want to get in there and hunt some mule deer. It's kind of you know, I'd almost say it's like the one of the sleeper states of, of out west. You know, everybody thinks of Colorado and Wyoming, you know, Idaho, Nevada and those states. But, um, you know, the Dakotas have some great mule deer hunting and it's really fun to spot and stalk in that broken country and all those those coolies. And um, they, it, it's fairly open where you can glass it. I mean, there is cover in that and thicker timber in places, but it's almost more open country where you can glass and, and get a chance at that true spot and stock mule deer. Yeah. You know, and, the, and, and South Dakota, but Nebraska too. I mean, really like if you're looking at um, like real open country, like that's a, that's another good one is just to be able to like the sand hills is like you're hunting on a golf ball. Um, I mean, it's, there's not many real high vantage points, but there could be, there could be a deer in every little divot. And so you can spend, you know, you get to spend the whole day, like really, you know, picking your way through that kind of stuff. It's um, it's pretty fun. Yeah, uh, so challenging too. The the spot and stock for those muleys, they're they're switched on and so iconic to the west. But I love spot and stocking those deer. Yeah, I love doing it too. I I haven't had nearly the luck that you have, <laughs> or I shouldn't say luck, the, the success that you've had. I it took me it took me four years to finally uh, successfully shoot a spot and stock mule deer, but I feel like now that I got that one down, like that one out of the way, I feel like things will start to fall into place a little bit easier um, going forward. I just, you know how it goes. Like you just put that, that experience, like that, that success, like up on the pedestal. And it's like almost no matter what you do, something goes wrong. Yeah. If it can go wrong, it will on a, on a stock. And it's so 
difficult and you you do you almost need to like um you know learn from your experiences and i'm the same way like um i think you said four years to to harvest your first one like that's what it takes it takes um gaining that that experience and that knowledge that goes into your instincts to make better decisions when you're on the stock and you have to figure out how to keep yourself calm in that situation and and then you'll get everything right and you'll get your stock all right and then you'll mess up the shot because you're so excited so then you have to learn to kind of calm yourself during the moment too and execute a good shot it's extremely difficult like sitting here talking about it's like oh yeah harvest a a mule deer buck spot and stock but it's one of the more more difficult challenges that you can take on as a hunter or or in life in general i think it is so difficult yeah so uh (laughs) so last year i was on a hunt with um ben gatormson do you know ben at all i don't know um, good buddy of mine. He's a, a, a good hunter, but he, um, so I went out on this deer and put a good stock on it. And I, I ended up missing the deer three times. <laughs> so, um, and during my stock, he found a little three point muley shed and I got done with the stock and he goes, here, I got you this shed. So it'll remind you that you, that one time you missed a deer three times. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm back out in Montana. I've been riding around with him, and he's got that shed sitting on the dash of his truck. And so now every time I'm riding around with him, I get to think about that experience all over again. <laughs> um, well, it's uh, it happens to all of us. We all miss it. Gosh, I, you know, I, I've harvested some really nice animals, and I've had good success, but I've also missed a lot too. And I've messed up some great encounters with some giant deer, just mind blowing deer that I've yep. messed up, but. It, it is. You have to learn from it and evolve. Like you, you have to learn those hard lessons to improve and get better. So, you know, on on executing a shot, what would you say some of the the keys or some of the lessons that you've learned? Like, what do you when when you're executing a shot at an animal now, or you know you're getting a shot? What is your your shot process? So, I th- the I think the one thing I just have I keep reminding myself like during it is that um, to not rush. You always have everything moves like it seems like it's taking forever when you're in that moment. But I like after several you know encounters and and trying to rush things, I know now that you always have more time than you think you do in the moment. So it's it's I really need to focus on just settling down into that situation and and executing the shot like like I know I can shoot. Rather than just trying to, like, as, you know, as soon as my pins hit the animal, you know, slapping that trigger. So it's um, it's a hard thing to do because, you know, it, if you're not getting excited in that moment, it's uh, there's probably something wrong with you. But um, I think I think like that's part of the fun is trying to harness that and try to keep yourself calm enough in the moment and know that you have enough time to execute a good shot Um and then you can get as excited as you want after the arrow's gone. But um, it's it's taken me a long time to figure that out, but just knowing that I have more time than I, than I usually think I do. That's a great point. And you um, you definitely – you probably don't have a pulse if you're not getting excited when you're shooting yeah. at a deer when you get an opportunity. It's built into our DNA for you know thousands of years as hunter-gatherers, you know, we – like that meal in front of you, like maybe you were starving for six, seven days, and now you get to feed yourself and your tribe, and that opportunity to harvest that meat, it, it gives you such excitement and thrill, and I really feel like that's built into our DNA. But you make a great point, Sam. That's that's one of the toughest lessons.
lessons you can learn, and also it's one that you continue to learn even you know uh, way into your bow hunting career. I still make mistakes, but for some reason, you know, we get excited, and, and our mind is telling us to hurry up. It's telling us to to hurry up and draw back, to hurry up and shoot. And you're right when you can learn those lessons on patience, and not just settling your pin, but also waiting for the correct shot angle. You know, waiting yeah. for a clear shot, like not trying to force the issue, letting it come to you and being patient waiting for that because so many times you know you you try to to force a situation or force an angle and things can happen bad like you really have to just sit there and be in the moment and calm yourself and go no I'm going to I'm going to wait for the right moment I'm going to wait for the right shot on this deer or sometimes the deer's bedded and you have like this tight window to tuck an arrow in there and and for me anymore like I've missed enough of those shots or messed up enough of those shots where I just say Nope, I'm I'm going to I'm going to wait right here and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen. But if I do loose an arrow, I'm going to hit this deer perfect. And so yeah. that patience and then like you said, not just getting your pin on the animal and slapping the trigger like really focusing and you know we all hear pick a spot and but yep. but really thinking about that and really trying to pick that spot and hold your pin on that animal like it doesn't take much time. Two, three seconds of extra aiming. It's amazing how much your aiming calms down on an animal. And sometimes I need four or five seconds. Like I draw back and my pin is just erratic on that animal. Like I can't even hardly keep it on the body. And in my younger years, I would have, you know, my pin would have moved across the vitals. And like you said, I would have tried to make that shot go when my pin was in there. Where nowadays, like yep. I can take a breath or two and all of a sudden my, my aiming starts starts to slow down and my my pin movement starts to kind of calm down and starts to hold where I want to hit and then that's when I execute that shot and I think also like having a mantra in your head because it's easy to forget about everything you've learned in that moment like you get in this fog of adrenaline and you stop thinking you know and so like having a mantra that you have that really helps you like pick a spot pick a spot and if you say that to yourself on on the stock or um like a, a weight on your shot or I have all these different mantras and it seems to change from year to year, but I try to focus on the most important thing and then I keep repeating that to myself. So when I do get the opportunity, then I execute the correct way, but it, it's so important and it, it seems so simple. Like you practice with your bow and you're a good shot and you can shoot out to all these yardages, but having that animal in front of you, man, it's a, it's a different beast. Yeah. 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 It's uh. I mean that's that's why we do it though. <laughs> it's just, it's it, just that, that adrenaline rush of being right there in the right spot at the right time, you know, and then try, trying everything in your power not to just screw that up. Yep. And, and your your mind also wants to force you to hurry up and get there, too. We talk about yep. that patience and waiting for yep. the right shot angle. But for some reason, when you get five yards away from the ledge where you're going to shoot that muley from or he should be on the other side, your mind's yep. telling you, hurry up, see if he's there. Hurry up, get right. to the ledge, get to the ledge. Right. And you end up, you know, rustling the ground or, or making a little noise because you're moving too fast. And then when you get to that edge, that buck's staring right up that cliff right at you and you don't get the opportunity and so yep. really trying to keep yourself calm and slow is so important yeah yeah that's the, uh that's the, really what it especially on spot and stock mule deer stuff that's really what it comes down to 
and the closer that you get, the slower you have to move, like the hands yep. of a clock. You have to fight that urge to hurry up and see if he's there. And the way I try to look at it or think about it is, um, you know, that let's see, how do I how do I put this in words that I, I'm not going to screw it up. Like, I'm not going to screw it up by moving too fast. Instead, I'm going to move at this slow pace. And if I get there, he's not going to know I'm there I'm, and I'm going to get my shot. If he's gone by the time I get there because I took 30 seconds extra, so be it. But I'm, I'm not yeah. going to mess it up by trying to, to hurry or rush it. Yeah. Well, really, I mean, if, if you've chosen to go in after an animal, what else do you have going on that day? <laughs> like... What, uh, like, it's not like there's zero reason to hurry because you, like, that's what you're doing in that moment. It's not like you're rushing through it to get to the next stock because, I mean, that's what your brain says. Like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I need to do this faster. I need to do this faster. But if it takes you nine hours and then because you took that long and you shoot that animal, well, then they took you nine hours. But if you, if it takes you four hours and you blow the animal out of there and then you got to go on four more stocks, you know, you're tripling your time to have the same thing happen if you would have just slowed down and, and taken the time that it required to get it done the first time. Yeah, um, that's so true. Uh, yeah, your mind wants to hurry up, but you, like you said, you have nothing else going that day. Yeah. Like you're actually stalking a deer, and that's what you're there for. Like you, you better give it, you know, all the effort you have, you know, and give it all your focus. I had this this uh, buck in Colorado that I shot. It's been a couple years. I'm returning back to Colorado this year. I have a tag for the high country, which I just love, like 13,000 feet of alpine mule deer hunting. And the place I have doesn't have any pressure. It's me versus the deer, and there's a lot of bucks yep. in there. And I yep. had this giant buck, and it was like you said, like a nine-hour stock all day long. I bedded him in his second bed and, and got up and above him and got in range, and he got up and moved away from me, didn't offer a shot. And I slipped down the hill. Well, finally, it's getting towards evening where the sun's starting to set and it's getting late. Like I in the last spot, this buck bedded down. I was on this buck for three or four hours at like 45 yards, knelt down in the grass. And he stood up at – I think he stood up twice and I drew back and started settling my pin. And then he turned around and bedded right back down. And, and finally, the third time he stood up, like as the sun's starting to set and starting to go, I have like maybe 40 minutes of light or so. He stands up, finally gives me the good angle, and I execute a perfect shot. And he walks about 20 yards and expires in seconds. The – the the feeling of like I was just so proud of myself at the the patience that I had it was like next level patience and it was like I'm gonna learn from this this is how I'm gonna treat every single stock but it's so yep. rewarding when you do play them right like that yep yep yeah no it's it's cool there's um you know in so many things you know things can go wrong as you're sitting in range I, I'm not a guy uh, like throwing a rock or forcing the 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 issue never seems to work for me. I have another saying that um, I always let the buck make the last move. So I always try to make the buck make the last mistake. So instead of trying to get around a bush to arrow a buck in his bed, I'll sit where the buck's behind the bush and I'll wait for that buck to get up and then step out and make that final move. So I'm not like forcing the issue. I'm kind of letting the buck make the last move. Do you practice any of that on your mule deer stalking, like like trying to be patient, not throwing the rock, waiting for him to get up, or how do you approach yeah. that? Yeah, I so I, I used to be I used to try to get too close. So you know I always want you know I it was always in my head like you know I'd 
whatever I'd close the, and that's why I screwed up so much. I would close the gap and I'd get, you know, I'd get under 70 yards and be like, oh, I can get closer. And then I'd get under 50 yards and be like, okay, I can, I can get closer. And then I'd all of a sudden I'd be like, whatever, 25 yards from the deer, but not a, there's no way I could have, you know, pulled off a shot and then I would try to force something and then just blow it out. So what I've started, I mean, this is just recently, what I've started to, to do is I will sneak into, if I can get to, you know, say 50 yards in a, in a very comfortable spot where I, I'm just waiting for that animal to, to stand up and either feed towards me when it's going to get back up or it's going to go away and then, you know, figure out a way to pursue, you know, and just close a few yards while it's up feeding. Um, you know, or even like I'll get to 70 yards and be like, okay, the wind's good here. I've got plenty of cover. There's a pretty good chance, you know, there's a 50, 50 shot that he's going to stand up and come my direction and he can close the last 30 yards, you know, that I need him to close. Um, and that seems to be helping <laughs> my odds, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's an ever learning process. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to have, you know, as many tags as I do in my pocket this year to really, really try to get better at that. And, and, uh, you know, be better at being patient and, and see if I can't, you know, have things go my way a few more times and, and, and learn from the successes rather than just, you know, going home and eating tag soup. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, your, your insight is, is so good, Sam, like, uh, you're, you're evolving your, your hunting and, and the, the, it, it's funny, like to even harvest one mule deer, you have to get so proficient and learn so much, but, um, you, you have a great approach to it like that getting into striking distance or in not getting too close, uh, is a yeah. big move. Cause you're almost pushing to failure. You're only, you're like forcing the issue you keep getting closer and closer and closer and pretty soon you know whether you force the issue or not the issue gets forced the the deer smells you or hears you or something goes wrong or it's just um you know and i love shooting mule deer up close like i those yeah. are some of my most treasured hunts but i'm with you like i like to hold up in my effective range or just even outside of my effective range is a great tip, like in striking distance and then close the last 20 yards when he's up feeding. Um, yeah, yeah you're, um, you, you, you have such a great approach to it because I think that's so important is that holding up. And I like to hold up just like you said at 50. I like to hold up, you know, 40 to 60, however the train kind of lays out because that's yep. kind of my sweet spot. I know I can make the shot, but I'm not 20 to 30 where that deer's you know, more apt to pick me up or pick up my sound or pick up my smell. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's important in the process of spot and stalking. It's, um, it's, it's such a tough game, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and it, uh, two years ago I, there was, I was on a, on a hunt and I, th I think I was under 20 yards from three just really big deer, like over the course of the hunt. And at least so one of the three, it was important to get in that close and it just didn't go my way. That's a long story. Um, but the other two had, I just stopped at like 45 to 50 yards. I had plenty of, you know, plenty of room to stop. I, if I would have just stopped and sat down, um, it was, it was kind of broken clouds most of the days. And so like there was the, the beer was going to end up being in the sun relatively soon and it would have stood up at, 
45 yards, you know, not knowing I was there in both two different situations. And I probably would have had a successful, you know, a successful hunt, but no, I ended up like four yards from one deer. <laughs> um, I think 12 yards from another deer and then the 18 from another deer and all three of them, I just was just forcing it too hard and too fast. And, you know, you just get to watch those big, beautiful antlers just run away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I am trying to evolve as a hunter and, and you know, fortunately in what I do, I get to spend a lot of time in the field and that's really what it takes to learn. Um, both, you know, a, a spot where you're hunting, but, you know, just learning how, you know, the million, you know, a fraction of the million different scenarios that can happen when you're out in the field and you start to kind of put together, okay, in this situation, I need to do this. In this situation, I need to do this. And, and the, I think the more failure it sucks, but I think the more you fail, the more you learn. And then when you do have a success, then you learn a lot. So absolutely. Uh, There's yeah, some... trying, to, try, trying to take a better approach to to all forms of hunting. And, and I think, you know, just getting a little bit older and doing it for a long time, you start to have a little bit more patience. Yeah, I think that is a big part of it, but there's so many nuances to the, the stock and closing the deal, like things that you don't even think about, like trying to get a good range. Well, yeah, when you're in your flip-flops in your backyard hitting your target with your rangefinder, it's perfect. It works great. Yeah. But in the field, you're like crouched down behind the grass and you don't want to expose yourself too high and you're hitting the grass or you don't know if you're getting a good range. Like how many times have you been on a deer where you click your rangefinder a hundred times to, to see if you got the right range? Right. But there, there's so many like nuances there too, um, you know. Also, like those those movements of trying to get your bow drawn, or yep. you yep. know, the the deer stands up and looks at you. Do you wait and wait till he starts feeding and looking away, or is he on to you? Do now you try to move ultra slow and try to bend the limbs back of your bow and try to get your pin on them? Or there's just so many nuances and so many things to learn that you. You, it's not like a textbook that you can read the the right thing to do in every situation because every situation is different. So the only thing you can do is keep honing your instincts and honing your skills, and, and then you just try to make the right moves and you try to not let your you know not let you not make the wrong moves or you know you you try to let your instincts take over and make those right moves and then you know be able to get the shot and hopefully harvest the animal. But it's weird how every situation is different. I think. Yep. 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 And then That's... you're hunting elk this year, like elk. Um, I tend to hunt elk a little bit more aggressively. They tend to move country and bed in thicker timber. Um, how much experience do you have hunting elk? Uh, you know, I've I've hunted elk a lot, <laughs> but I wouldn't say I, I I I don't have a lot of experience um, elk hunting. So I've 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 had a lot of I've had bad luck elk hunting. I've had um, I've had some real, really good luck on a on an elk hunt a few years back. So I'm hoping to I'm hoping to really this year. Usually I'm filming a lot in September. So this year I I blocked off enough time where I'll really be able to soak up the experience and kind of immerse myself into you know instead of trying to rush a you know two to three days at a time or whatever it might be. I've got you know a solid nine to ten days to just really go in and 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 hammer it out and see if I can't, you know, uh, be successful. But, um, so far in my career, the elk hunting has not been, um, uh, has not been what I'm best at. <laughs> we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> um, 
yeah, elk, uh, public land elk are one of the toughest animals to harvest consistently. Like they're so difficult here in Montana where you have a tag. Like we just uh, – we get a lot of opportunity here in Montana, but that's all – that also means higher pressure elk, you know. And the sought-after elk tags are just – they're tougher to get because there's fewer of them and, and a lot of guys are – you know, the, the archery elk hunting thing has been popular for years. And so, you know, guys really want those tags. So, man, it, it is tough on those bulls. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes I play them like a mule deer patiently, but I would say on average, I, I play elk more aggressively. Like I see elk, I, I don't stalk them recklessly. I'm not going to make mistakes, you know, outright and up front, but, you know, I'm going to move in with the herd and I'm going to see what I can make happen and kind of shadow the herd or coyote the herd and and try to wait for my opportunity to close in and seal the deal. But if I see elk a long ways off, I'm not going to sit and watch them for days. Like I'm going to go get into them and see if I can make something happen. So it seems to me like it's a little bit more aggressive hunting and you, you still have to move ultra slow when you're close, not let them catch your move the same you would with a mule deer but i'm just more apt to go get into them i'd say when i'm hunting elk yeah and i and i think that's right and the the one nice thing about elk um and what i've learned from successful hunters is because they're such a you know a range animal they're free you know like they really uh nomadic they rather than like a, a deer that has been living in that you know 30 acre piece you know all summer or whatever it might be um because elk are on the move so much, you can be a little bit more aggressive because they're not going to notice you, you know, hunkered up next to a tree, you know, hiding because and it, they're not going to notice that that's out of place because they are so infrequently in that location. So I think I think it gives you a little bit more room to be more aggressive and, and you know, dive into the herd rather than being so meticulous. Yeah, Um yeah, that's a, a good point about being nomadic and, and also, you know, your opportunity may be fleeting. Like I've had multiple times where I'm on a big bowl that night and I think, no, it's not right tonight. I'm going to make a move on them in the morning and the morning comes and I can't find that bowl for the life of me. You know, right. it's just gone. <laughs> like they have a circuit of feeding meadows and a circuit of country that they like where they are nomadic and moving. And sometimes you find them where they're hanging in one drainage or basin, you know, for a couple days that, that they like it's got everything they need but yeah nomadic by nature and so they're always moving so sometimes you know that opportunity of locating a bull like that that may be your opportunity that you have to try to seize the moment yep yep that's exactly right well you're gonna have fun this year and one uh you talked about uh filming for jason matzinger um gosh what a great job you do sam some of that footage you guys put together is absolutely amazing and and uh and, and jason's a really skilled elk hunter as well boy he's killed a lot of bulls and so it, it's nice to be able to learn and hunt with people like that right and gain some of the knowledge and some of their insight how they approach elk hunting and and we all have our our unique unique way of going about it but it's always good to compare notes and to to learn from somebody that is successful like that Oh yeah. It's been, I mean, spending a lot of time with him, it's been invaluable to the, just the amount that I've learned from, uh, you know, how the way he does things and, and then in comparison to the way other guys do things and you start to pick up on all these little, little tips and tricks and whatever that, you know, that going through and, and just, uh, even though I'm behind the lens and I'm not the one with the tag, I get to be part of all these different scenarios and what you should do in, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, I've, I've learned a lot through, through that. So, um, 
yeah, it's been been really fun and and the, making films with him and stuff and filming it makes it, you know, the places that he hunts and the, the just the the scenery and stuff it makes it pretty easy to put together some pretty solid video. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, really solid video. Like some of the best. You guys do a great job. Um, well, and, and like you, you get a chance to learn from those experiences too, with not all the heartache. I mean, there's heartache when you don't get the footage or you watch your buddy that isn't successful, but you get to have these encounters with them and play them a certain way, and and that gets logged into your experience and into your instincts as well. You know, so you you're picking up a so much valuable information. Like just being in the woods, you're learning. Yep. 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 And, and 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 then paying attention to it too. Right. Exactly. And again, it's just you know time in the field. It just it it makes all the difference. Well, and I noticed too, like you got to let your ego go when you mess up an opportunity or some some mistake happens. And I always try to like I'm trying to enjoy my experience to the fullest out there. And so like it's crushing when you spook a big mule deer, or you spook an elk that you want to harvest, and, and you work so hard for this opportunity and you have so much into it. You may have days into it, and then you mess up an opportunity. But I always try to look at it as a learning experience, and I always try to say, well, that was that was worth the price of admission. Like that's why I'm here is to get close to elk and that was so thrilling that encounter like my heart was beating out of my chest like that was fun that's why i do it but then also letting that ego go uh, of making an excuse why it went wrong and really trying to look at at the encounter objectively and trying to figure out now how could i i done that better you know you know was it a mistake i made by trying to rush it did i did I get in and the wind swirled? Maybe I should have waited until I had a more consistent afternoon. But I, I think letting that ego go and just saying, yeah, I, I made a mistake or there was a better way to do things or hindsight's always twenty twenty. like just trying to absorb all that information I think is really important in our evolution as hunters. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. And I think um, I think it's really important. This is a, you know, I, I was a collegiate athlete, I um, I threw disc and hammer in college and it's, you know, to make an analogy, it's, um, having a bad throw, you have to have a short memory, right? So if you go in and you screw up, you know, some, a stock or a, a call set or whatever it might be, and you blow the animals out of there, um, you can be upset about it or whatever, but you got to have a short memory and just get back in the game and not just get into your own head. Cause it's really easy to talk yourself, uh, it's really easy to talk yourself out of, you know, like, well, like I screwed that one up, like it's not going to go right. And then, you you know, you talk yourself out of staying the whole hunt or, you know, whatever it might be. It's, um, you know, going full circle back to the beginning of the, the podcast. It's it's that six inches between your ears that you need to you need to, you know, keep in check. Oh, man. Um yeah, that that brings up so many memories in my head too. Yeah, you can let it get the best of you, can't you? And so, yeah, you need to learn from it, but you also you can't dwell on it, or it'll just bring you down into the dumps, and like you say, ruin your whole hunt. Or you feel like you're so close to this opportunity and worked so hard for it, and then you screwed it up. You almost feel like, what's the point? I should just head home. I got my opportunity. But the quicker you can get yourself back into the game and back into the hunt, and that's what that's I always focus on the redemption. Like if I missed a shot or messed up a stock, it's like, man, I just I really want to get another opportunity because I know I can get it right. I know I can make that shot. Like I just need another chance. I need another opportunity. And I start focusing on that. And, and once you get back into the hunt, the, the pain starts to leave you pretty quick. You just get like you immerse yourself back into the challenge of trying to harvest an animal. And all of a sudden your head's back in the game. Yep. Yep. 
That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, but it's it's yeah, it's all about focusing on foc- just focus on the positives, focus on the redemption. Yeah. It's yep. it, uh funny how you relate it to, you know, your, your college days and and uh, sports and you know, I related a lot to wrestling, but there's so many correlations between hunting and life and you you learn so many great life lessons out there, you know, in hunting. It it, it it's just um, it, it's so great that that we have passion for this or have a place for our energy and our effort. You know, it, it's it's just so cool. I I enjoy it so much and talking to you. I know you enjoy it too. Yeah, yeah, I I really do. It's um, yeah, I'm pretty much fanatical about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right on, man. It's it's been so fun to talk to you. Um, yeah, good luck this year. I'm gonna keep up with you on social media and see how you do. It sounds like you got a, a bunch of good tags in your pocket, so it's gonna be fun to see what you turn up and and fun to see that public land bus cruising around again. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Really, thanks again for having me on, and looking forward to seeing how you do. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch throughout the course of the season. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Uh, really fun talking to Sam. You know, I just love those authentic hunting conversations, you know, and, and I love to have a theme for the podcast, but I also like just jumping on, just talking about, you know, whatever's on our minds and, and whatever's relevant to the time of year. And um, Sam was just a great guest and just get on, get on and start talking Western hunting and TAC and public lands and uh, just really enjoyed the conversation. Sam's a great guy. He does so many things for our public lands, like the public land bus, um, just an amazing product that he's put together or project he's put together. Um, and, and then I just I, I like how he's he's living the life he wants to live. He's living his passion that that he started it with a dream and not much money, uh, photographing and videoing and and just his story it, it is so fun to hear. And it's it's fun to hear everybody's story in the industry is, is you know, Mine is is the same way. It was just something I wanted, and and it was my passion, and something I I keep working towards, and I keep getting more and more opportunities. So I love hearing those stories. Thanks to Sam for being on the podcast. I sure appreciate it. And uh, thanks to our sponsor today, High Mountain Seasonings. Uh, High Mountain Seasonings makes everything for processing your game. They've got uh, snack stick kits. They've got sausage kits. Um, the jerky seasoning, which I mentioned, I did two different flavors, did a bunch of jerky for this hunting season, and I'm just stoked. It came out really good. It's like that jerky is something that um, it just takes a lot of time no matter how you do it. I've done it out of smokers. I've done it you know, in the oven, and now I've got a dehydrator, and the dehydrator gives it heat to 165, but... It seems like these smokers, it's never like you just turn it on and forget it. It's like you're rotating racks and you're flipping jerky and you you just really got to pay attention to it to have it come out good. And everybody's jerky is different. Like you get your own style to it. But I really enjoy doing it. I need to get into uh, doing my own summer sausage a little bit more. It's the one thing that I, that I still have processed. I do all my butchering. I do all my steaks, all my burger all my jerky, um, but the summer sausage, I've got a place that's got a really good recipe. They add cheese and jalapenos to it. Um, so I would like to start doing that myself. I just need to take the time to do it in the wintertime. But um, for you guys processing your own meat and, and doing your, your own kits, uh, High Mountain Seasoning has everything for it. So make sure to check them out. Check out their website. Thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And yeah, yeah. Um, 
like I say, I think I talked to about everybody from Eastman's today, just checking in with things. Um, yeah, I'm just stoked at this footage we put together, and then the Nevada hunt and this caribou hunt, and uh, it's 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 really fun to to be able to capture it in a film. And I tell you guys all the time, like it's. Um, anything that you do in life, you, you don't just start and you're instantly good at it. And that includes filming. I, I would go on all these great adventures and think if I could capture this on film, it, you know, it'd be the best film made. And when I started doing it, not that I haven't produced some good films that I'm proud of. I absolutely have, but you just learn every time you get more comfortable talking into the camera. You, you, you find, you figure out what, what's important for the, the storyline. You, you figure out what B-roll shots edit in good so you got clips of everything you're doing from hiking to glassing to you know filling up water to close up of your boots to close up of the grass to a time lapse or whatever the case is and man I just feel like I'm I'm taking it to that next level and and really producing some good content so I can't wait for Eastman's to get this edited down uh, released out to you guys you know, I'm hoping it makes the Outdoor Channel for an episode, and I'm also hoping it makes a Beyond the Grid and Internet, um, on the Internet where where I can share it with with everybody. Um, so so yeah, I'm just gonna keep working away. I got one more hunt to film. This next one's just a a personal project to Colorado, so this is gonna be fun too, where I can just really focus on on killing a quality buck and not worry about the footage. It's something I enjoy to do, but it's, but I also enjoy to just be out there hunting, just worrying about me and killing a trophy buck. And man, that the execution too means the world to me. Like executing on an on an animal. Um, you know, to get just the, the clean kill shot right where you want it and, and watch like that Nevada buck walk, took 20 steps and was dead within 10 seconds. Perfect double lung shot stood up and I was patient waiting for the shot, um, you know, waited for him to turn before I drew just, I did everything right. And, and then that solid execution, when you execute, put a perfect shot on them just means the world to me. I mean, I absolutely love bow hunting. It just, it, it runs through my veins, uh, it's something that'll never get old. I'll never get tired of. I, I love every hunt and I love every challenge. But, um, anyways, this isn't a solo episode. I just I get carried away when I get thinking about these hunts, and I, I'm just so psyched and, and and so pumped just coming off these hunts. So get some work done. Then I'm headed to Colorado, and uh, hunting season comes all at once. It's time to really enjoy it. Uh, put all the hard work in, and and uh, it's paying off now. And I just can't wait to, to go embark on another adventure here. So I'm going to get this out to you guys, get out an episode for next week while I'm gone, and uh, should be good to go here for a little bit. So uh, thanks as always, guys, for the support. I got some messages lately at some guys that were successful that attributed to uh, uh, listening to the podcast in our community. I know that's not all what it is. It's, um, it, it's them making the decision to... To, to be persistent and to be out hunting and to give it their all and not making shortcuts, but getting them this information out and getting you guys this information, it helps when you're out there because it's always more difficult than you think it's going to be. And you, it's always more challenging to arrow a trophy animal. 
I mean, at some points, it almost seems like mission impossible, but you just keep trying and you, you keep putting in the effort and you keep theorizing and eventually things just come together. At least that's the way it works for me. And I, I think it's that that's the way it works for everyone, you know, so uh, work hard towards your goals this hunting season. Keep pushing hard. Look over the next hill. No shortcuts. Do whatever it takes. And I know you guys will see some more success. So uh, thanks a bunch for all the support, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, check in with you guys next week.